I'm touched. I'm blessed. Did you see what they did? Right? They, they pulled the monitor back, and I would say they did that because they know I'm apt to trip over it, if not. Uh, how many of you, were any of you here at 8 o'clock service Wednesday? Yeah, okay, you see what happens. If you, at 8 o'clock, the praise band um, was up here, and so John had his microphone and his, um, they, these are, if you ever wondered, the praise band uses these, they hold tablets. Um, so that they have their music. And so John had this right here with his tablet on it. And so I had this much space, and that doesn't work well for me. And I stepped back. I was talking about the restlessness of the kids. I talked about that each time. And I stepped back, and the whole thing went down. And um, what's that? It looked planned. Uh, it, it, yeah, yeah, everything we do is staged. It's a Monty Python, it's a Monty Python skit up here. So... Um, I wish it was planned. Anyway, I'm going to sit down for a few minutes so that I, I'm still tired. <laughs> so, we, uh, I, I, yeah, I know, but I feel old. Somebody said I'm so young. Um, we, uh, I, 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 I put this on Facebook this week, but we celebrated a Christmas miracle at our house on Christmas morning. Um, our kids didn't wake us up till 6.30. And... Um, <laughs> Because, because we wouldn't let them. <laughs> that was the thing. I said, there's no reason. Because we spend Christmas, we, we have, it's a very busy day for us uh, in our household. We, we have morning, the morning is us. That's Tony and myself and Ryan and Cassie. That's our family time. But then at about mid-morning, then we'll drive to Zephyr Hills where Tony's father lives. And we'll spend a few, the afternoon with Tony's dad and my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, my nieces and nephews, so we do that. And then my father lives 10 minutes from her father. So then we go to Dad and Judy's house for dinner, and we'll be there till 9 or 10 o'clock, and then we're home again. So it's a long day. It's wonderful. Now, don't hear me complain. It's a great day. But waking up at 5 a.m. after Christmas Eve and doing that, we're like, no, we're not going to do that. So Cassie was up at 4.30 waiting for us and you know and and I love the fact that she gets so excited about that but the good thing was she made coffee she warmed up breakfast we had to do the, like the biscuits and she fed the dog something and I could go I could go for this um but by the end of the day she was like trying to find a place to lay down I wouldn't let her <laughs> like no no you suck it up because I want her to remember how tired she was so next year she'll sleep longer but um but that's kind of a little bit of, of our um, kind of at least what's become our Christmas tradition. And again, I hope it was a wonderful day for you. But it is, um, you know, it, it, it comes so fast. I know I say that all the time. I know I'm a broken record, but it amazes me how quickly it comes and it goes. And, uh, and I do pray that the, the spirit of Christmas, the heart of Christmas, the worship of Christmas um, doesn't fade so fast for us that it, it holds, holds fast to in, in our hearts and in our spirits, um, you know, long after the, the presents are put away and the wrapping paper and boxes are, are discarded, that, that we can continue to hold on to the, to the heart of Christmas, which is why I want to, um, to return to the Gospel of John. Uh, this is, on Wednesday night, we read from Isaiah in the texts. We read the Christmas story from Luke. Um, 
but I referenced John a lot. If you, if you didn't pick up on it, but if you remember some of the things I said, you'll hear these words again because John um, gets in a wonderful way to the heart of Christmas, um, as does Luke and Matthew, but John does it in a different way. So I'm going to read actually just verses 1 through 14 this morning. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God for the people of God. Let us pray that we would have hearts of thanksgiving for Your Word, Lord, that speaks to us of Your Word, which is Your Son, Jesus, who spoke all things into being and who spoke life into each of our hearts. Help us to hear that voice and to respond today in faithfulness. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. It was a, uh, a Christmas pageant acted out by four-year-olds. So you can imagine the fun that that would have been. And as the Christmas pageant began, if you were in the audience the first thing you would have seen would have been the entrance of the Marys. You think the entrance of the Marys? The three, to be exact. As the three Marys came down, you see this um, school that was hosting the Christmas pageant. Over the years, they had accumulated three Mary costumes. And so to utilize their gifts and to kind of keep some of the fighting and bickering and jostling for position down, there were three Marys that made their way into the manger scene to stand behind the baby, followed immediately by the two Josephs. Now, if you're wondering how two Josephs and three Marys work, don't ask the question. Just go with it. After the Marys and the Josephs made their way in, they were followed by 20 angels in their white costumes, in their big gauze angel wings. And following the angels was about 20 more young boys, little four-year-old boys, and they were the shepherds, all dressed in their burlap sacks, carrying various objects that were intended to be shepherd's, crook, shepherd's crooks. And they all made their way on stage. And they all had been designated with their places to stand, the Marys, the Josephs, the angels, the shepherds. In fact, the teachers had marked on the floor the designated places for them to stand. Each of the angels had a spot that was marked by an X. 
and each of the, the shepherds had a spot marked by a cross. The problem was when they set the positions and when they practiced, nobody was in costume. So when the angels came in with their big wings, they took up way more space. And so they not only took up their X's, but they blocked out all the crosses. And so the shepherds came in and there was immediate confusion and chaos as to where exactly they were going to be because they couldn't find their spots. And finally exasperated and frustrated, one little shepherd boy caught the eyes of his teacher just off stage. And in a stage whisper that could be heard by everybody, he exclaimed, These blankety-blank angels have blocked out the cross. <laughs> and blankety-blank is not the words that were used, and we're in church, and so you can use your imagination. But these angels have blocked out the cross. There is sometimes kind of a, a danger in all the pageantry of, of Christmas that the cross of Christ gets lost, the heart. And when we talk about the cross of Christ, we're talking about the heart of the gospel. We're talking about the, the, the heart of, of what God has done in the giving of His Son, Jesus. And, and so that's why, turn back to John today. Matthew and Luke are wonderful. And the pageantry of, of, the, of the birth of Christ is is important for us to know. We thank God that Matthew and Luke saw fit by the power of the Holy Spirit prompting them to, to record for us the detail of, of the birth of Christ and, and all the, the participants in, in the, the nativity story. But John really just focuses in on a much more spiritual understanding. Really, the, the, he, he forsakes the pageantry the angels and the shepherds and, and the Mary and Joseph part, just to kind of get to the heart of, of in a different way, not in a better way, but in a different way, uh, to, to what God has done in Jesus. And so I wanted to spend a few moments today, just a few moments, going a little deeper into the Gospel of John because he answers some questions for us. He answers the who question. He answers the... Um, the, the how question, and, and he answers the, the why question. So let's talk about the who question. You know, we think about the story, and, and we think about all the, the visible in, in a tangible, physically present way, uh, all those participants, shepherds and, and magi and Mary and Joseph, even, even the, the infant Jesus. But the who, the fundamental who of, of the one who is at work, the actor of the story, the, the, the catalyst, if you will, is God. Now, that is the baby Jesus. So let, let me be very, very careful because we believe Jesus is the incarnation of God. So we could be saying that same thing. But, but the, the nativity story, the birth of, of Christ, it's not an act of humanity. It's an act of God. God who works through a lot of humans... A lot of individuals who play their part faithfully. Shepherds who follow the instruction of the angels to go and see. Magi who follow the star. Joseph 
who takes Mary as his wife, and I think none more powerfully than Mary, who, who accepts this, this call of God, I think this challenge of God, to be the mother of the Messiah. The one with all those circumstances that, that we're probably familiar with of being this unwed mother and what that would have meant for her. And yet she takes this call of God as a, as a privilege, as an honor. And she responds in a powerful testimony as, as Matthew and Luke testify in their stories of her faithfulness. So all of those participants matter and they're important for us. But God's the agent of of action. God's the one who makes it happen. God's the one who takes the initiative. And sometimes we can, we can tend to forget that. That, that this is God's story that is, is done um, for us. And so we get this, this understanding of, of what God has done or, or the who or in the very, very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, this is speaking of Jesus. When we're talking about the Word, we're talking about Christ. The Word of God. Not, not the Bible, but the Word made flesh, as we'll talk about. It says, Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Now, I want you to think about that. Through Him all things were made. In Him nothing was made that has been made. When you look... Upon, you gaze upon the stars in the heavens. When you look upon the creation and the beauty of all that is around us, that's God's handiwork. And that is mind-boggling if you just stop to think about it, especially if you, if you really want to contemplate the, the expanse and the vast and, and the immense size, I don't think we can fully comprehend, of, of the cosmos. Uh, as I've told you before, I love to watch um, National Geographic and some of the um, kind of what I call the educational channels, how the world was made, the, ex- the, 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 the studies of, of the stars. And it's just, it's mind-boggling to think that that was spoken into existence. And that's exactly what John starts with. This is the God who has created everything. This is the God who is above all things. And in many ways, I think for, for many, it's the God who very often seems so distant you think about the God, the, the, the size of all that is, it would make God seem very, very above us, beyond us, outside of our reach. I mean, who are we in comparison to all that is? And yet, John reminds us, going to the end of the verses, that this God who spoke all things into existence, that verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us that God made a decision to step into our story, to not seem so distant, to not seem so expansive, so, so massive, so beyond our reach. He has stepped into our story. A fellow by the name of Bob Considine tells a story of uh, the first time after the Vietnam War that he accompanied an infant from Vietnam to the United States that was being adopted. Plane ride from, from, from Vietnam to, to America to, to meet with a fi- to, to be received into a family that was going to take uh, this little girl in, this, this baby. And uh, he, he recounts that as they were on the flight and, and as he was with this small child, he noticed that, that she had tears in her eyes. 
but never made a sound, never, never cried. Couldn't hear her at all. And that kind of troubled him a little bit. And he called the stewardess over to see if, if she had any insight. And fortunately, she did. And she said, I have seen this before. She has learned not to cry because she knows nobody's going to come anyway. She's learned not to cry because she knows nobody's going to come anyway. What a, what a sad experience of, of abandonment. And, and it very easily could have been our spiritual reality. It could have been our spiritual realities to recognize that in this expanse that, that there is no one to cry out to because nobody's going to come because God seems so far away. But John says God has chosen to hear our cries, to recognize our need. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God is the who who has stepped in to our story. And he has stepped into our story to do for us what we're incapable of doing for ourselves. That, that becomes the what of the story. He steps in to draw us in. It says that the true light that gives light to everyone has come into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, hear this, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now, I, th that, that is a, a theological truth that, that we could unpack in a lot of different ways. There's not a meaning here, as it is with the Scriptures. There's very rarely a time in the Scriptures where, where there is a singular theological, spiritual truth. But it says that, that the world did not receive him, did not recognize him, did not accept, if I could use some of my own language, accept who he was. And, and that is tragic. But it, it speaks to the what God has done, to the significance of this strange story that, that we celebrate. I mean, it is a strange story, the Christmas story. All the ways that, that the events transpire, but the most significant that God would choose to come in such a vulnerable way as, as an infant, as a child. The, the how God chose to act. God chose to come to a people that he knew largely would not accept him, would not receive him, because we, we can't fully comprehend him. And so he comes in the most vulnerable way imaginable to try, well, we used to say to try to grease the skids a little bit. I mean, well, I want you to put it in perspective. Very often, most often in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, when individuals encountered the presence of God, whether it be through the angel or the whatever, usually through an angel, but somehow in which God made him, revealed himself, over and over, the first words spoken were fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't panic. Don't, in our vernacular, don't freak out. Because the presence of God scared the dickens out of the people. I think it would scare us. 
If I said to you today, you're going to go home, sit down in your living room, sit down at your kitchen, wait at exactly 2 p.m., God's going to pop in on you. In some physical manifestation, God's going to show up. or God's going to, I think you'd be a little nervous. I, I'd be nervous. And, and so, so God chooses this remarkable how. Because I can imagine this conversation. I heard um, in much more detail, um, Paul, I think it was Paul Matthews at Trinity Church in New York years ago, talked about this dialogue between Gabriel and God. And Gabriel kind of says, I got good news and bad news. Um, the good news is I visited everybody you told me to visit. And God said, okay, what's the bad news? Is? The bad news is every time I go, they freak out. They, they just, they get scared and I have to calm them down and they're petrified. Every time I show up, they're petrified because they're scared of you and they're scared of, of the, the enormity of who you are. And God's conversation kind of moves and he says to Gabriel, that's why I have a plan. Gabriel said, what's the plan? And he says, I'm going to come in a way that won't scare him to death. I'm going to come as a child. I'm going to come as an because it's the one thing that doesn't scare him. Because infants don't scare us. I mean, they might intimidate us a little bit. Depends on, on how comfortable we are with the reality of, of messes and slobber and all the things that come with infants. But, but they don't, I mean, I've never had anybody said, that baby scares me. That baby could hurt me. Um, uh, that, that, that's, that's not, we, we celebrate babies. We rejoice at babies. We embrace uh, children. I, I remember when when Ryan was born, and I was the associate at St. Paul, I mean, we had, to, we had to wait, and we chose to wait. We didn't have to. We chose six weeks. For six weeks, that congregation did not see that child. Ryan did not come out because we knew that as soon as we brought him out, we wouldn't get him again. For, like, for, if we were there for an hour, he'd be, like, passed around. And that's exactly what happened. The first night, and, and, and Tony was, you know, first-time mother, first-time father, but, but especially mothers, um, that, that are very uh, protective of their babies. And, and she was not apt to, uh, to let her son go. Um, but people, they, they wanted to come and they wanted to hold him and they wanted to carry him around and they wanted to show him off, not just because he was our kid, but because he was a newborn. And we love that. We celebrate that. We embrace that in so many ways. And, um, and that's what God does. He chose to come in this very special, thoughtful way. It's a gift that comes with so much intentionality because of our own resistance to the light, the fact that he knew that we weren't apt to receive him because we'd be so overwhelmed by him. And so, so God chooses to come in this crazy way, this vulnerable way, this helpless way, to, to kind of prepare our hearts to receive not a child, but the man he would become and the message that he would bring. It's an incredibly intentional gift. I mean, you think about this in the light of Christmas. How many times have you opened a gift from somebody, usually maybe not immediate family, but somebody who, who thought enough of you to get you something, but you, you could tell by the gift they didn't put a lot of thought into it. They just kind of put something together and they just gave it to you to, to give it to you because they, they, they were some sort of an obligation. Or better yet, how many times have you done that? Let, let's even, let's, let's own that. Let's not even put, how many times have you thought, oh my gosh, I have to get so-and-so something. And you go scrambling around your house looking for something you know, that last-minute gift to, to kind of fill it in. There's a, there's a wonderful little anecdote um, about Adelaide Stevenson. Uh, those of you who remember, a wonderful politician, but he had the unfortunate um, um, reality of running for president against um, a war hero, you know, Eisenhower. And so he lost years ago. But before he'd run for president, he was, 
I can't remember the official title. It was like Agriculture Alliance Director, something like that. And, and he helped broker uh, some sort of a contract with uh, the walnut industry. And uh, so he got, right before Christmas, he got this, uh, this thank you gift from them. And it was this big sack of individual packages of walnuts. And so he had not finished all his Christmas shopping for, you know, friends and things. And he thought, this is wonderful. I'll take these packets and I can give them as Christmas gifts. And so he did. Unfortunately, he never opened one of the packages. Each package had a little card in it and said, thank you, Adelaide Stevenson, and Merry Christmas. Um, every package. So, you know, he got busted. You know, our worst nightmare. He re-gifted and he got busted. And it was a gift that was just easy and simple. And Allah, that's not what God does. God gives us a gift that, that in God's understanding of who we are is intentional. To prepare our hearts to, to receive a Messiah that I think God certainly could have chosen to show up in any way he wanted. But to show up um, in a different way, even more so might have blocked our hearts to receive the power of the message that Jesus came to bring. So, so he, this is the who. This is the how, and, and, and this is the why. And he says it, and this is probably the one that, that you've heard me talk the most about. He says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. He came to bring us back into the relationship. And, and to bring us back into the relationship with him, to, to reach and, and to bridge that gulf and to, to do for us what we were incapable of doing for ourselves. But, but also, you know, that, that plural children of God speaks to our relationship with each other. We, we are very truly are called to be part of the family of God. And that means to be family together. You know, Christmas is a time that, that we celebrate family. And the reality is that, that there are some of us in here today who... who have lost spouses and, and children and, and fa that family. Maybe some here who, who don't have any, any living, immediate biological family left. And there's a tendency sometimes, and, and I'll hear this in, in talking, what are you doing for Christmas? You, you're going to be spending it with family. And I'll hear, I don't have any family. And I understand that. I understand that feeling. But, but here's what God says. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. It may not be blood relatives, but, but look around. Children of God, sons and daughters, grafted into the family. And that speaks not only to the upward relationship, but to the outward relationship. We are family. We don't always live into that very well. We fall short. We, we disappoint each other. I mean, we're family. Uh, you know, if, if you have a family, if thinking about your brothers and sisters, your mother, your father, your, your children, please raise your hand if your immediate biological family has never disappointed you. Okay, that's what I thought. Raise your hand if you've never disappointed them. Yeah, we do. We do. But we're grafted into that family. As imperfect as it is, perfect father, imperfect children. Made perfect by the child. By the one who's come for us. And so, yeah, we, we don't always get it right. But that doesn't change the truth of what God has called us to be. We are family. And, and you have a family today, and so do I, and, and we're it. And so God who acts in such a way 
and it's only he could, to bring us the good news of the gospel, the cross, which is the, the, the outward sign of God's limitless love and the reality that there's no step he won't take to win us home, to bring us home, to, to, to help us to understand who we are claimed to be. That's children of God, children of the Father, brothers and sisters with one another. That's the, the gospel. That's the heart of, of the Christmas story. That we continue to worship that. What I pray for all of us is that that doesn't stop now that the, the season is over. But that truth will carry us right on in to the new year. Will continue to strengthen us in our journey of faith. Will continue to draw us close to God and close to one another as we grow in faith and we grow into the service of the one who has given himself for us. And that is Christ our Lord. Let us pray. Loving God, we, uh, we thank you for the, the, just the, the foundation of the message of Christmas that, that John so wonderfully speaks to, that, that you have done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, that you have come to bring us into the light of life and that you have grafted us into the family of God. May that give us uh, joy today and may the joy of Christmas continue to live in our hearts long after uh, the season has passed. We pray in your holy and precious name. Amen. Friends, let's